Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. On this edition of the Pigpen Podcast, the great Fred Smoot, kind enough to join us as we preview this weekend's matchup against the Baltimore Ravens. This was a fun one. Drink up that diesel. What's good? Welcome to the Big Ben Podcast. I'm your host, Denton Day, at Denton underscore Day. Another preview pod coming at you. We got Baltimore coming up this Sunday, unfortunately. Uh, after they kind of got shell-shocked by Kansas City. Never a good thing when a really good team gets beat uh, pretty bad right before you play them. So that's going to be something to look out for. But as you heard in the intro, Fred Smoot, you've seen it in the title. Fred Smoot is going to jump on and be our guest this week. So had a really great conversation with Fred. Talked a lot of a lot of different things. Offense, defense, and we did get uh, a question and answer. A really great answer, I should say. Uh, about Sean Taylor's impact on the game. So trust me, that's something you want to be on the lookout for. Uh, before we get into that, as always, if this is your first time listening, subscribe to the Hogshaven podcast feed. Uh, be a member of the website, hogshaven.com. If you're not following me on Twitter, please go do so, at Denton underscore day. And without further ado, let's get into the conversation. I'm not going to hold you too long. Let's get into the conversation with a great Fred Smoot preview in this weekend's matchup against the Baltimore Ravens. Excited to welcome on my next guest. If you're a fan of uh, the Washington football team, you know this man very well. The great Fred Smoot. He's the host of the Believe in Washington football podcast. Spent seven years here in the district. Fred, what's up, man? How are you? I'm good, brother, man. How you doing? I'm hanging in there. I'm trying to be as optimistic as I can. You know, season started off really, really hot with the win. Little, uh, uh, maybe not as hot the past two weeks, but I'm feeling good. All right, all right let me ask you something. You say optimism. All right, optimism is always scope. Uh, what do you, in, in this case scenario, what is our, your expectation for this team? Like, look at your realistic, take your fan out of it. What are your realistic expectations of this team? My realistic expectation was around six to seven wins with a slow rebuild. And eventually we'd see Dwayne stop making some of the mistakes that he's made uh, specifically in the game against Cleveland. So there, there's where my optimism lies because I've seen some things from him that I think are very fixable to this point. All right, then. So we're literally on the track to what you're talking about. Because when I, I look at seasons, I always say, I right, realistically, what are they going to be? I, I say anywhere from 6-10 and 10 to 8-8, eight and eight, and guess what? Every game they play is going to be a tight game. They're going to lose tight games. They're not going to get blown out too much. 
And that's what I'm seeing from this team. I'm seeing a team with 80% of the starting talent under the age 25. I, that tells you we're setting up not for a winning season. We're setting up to become a, a 10-year, 12-year dynasty. Now, how do you feel about Dwayne Haskins? As a guy that's played the game, what are you seeing from him that you like? And then what are you seeing from him that you think, all right, this needs to change here coming up in the next few weeks? Uh, he has the swagger in, the, in, in a cannon for um, uh, the talent is there. But to actually give him a an equal footing and so I can judge his talent, first of all, I got to get somebody to block for it. All right? This is where everything's <laughs> going to sit. First of all, I got to get somebody to block for it. Second of all, I got to establish a running game. That's what you do for young quarterbacks. Third of all, I got to get him a tight end. We don't have a starting tight end. I, in the NFL, a starting tight end is the safest throw for any quarterback. Well, if you don't give him a tight end and you don't give him blocking, how good can he really look? No, I, I'm with you there. And it was interesting because after the game last week, Ron Rivera said that there is some form of cutoff point. He didn't say exactly what that meant. And I was kind of doing some stuff in my head, and I was thinking, all right, if we're by, like, week eight and he's still looking down his wide receivers, maybe there's something here. What say you on how long we should give him if he continues to make some of the mistakes that we saw, specifically in the game against Cleveland? Well, first of all, I love coaches' mental warfare. He's very good at it, and I think that's what that's all about. Not saying that he's drawing a line in the sand, just giving just giving his his quarterback a notice. Like, come on, this is the NFL. You got to get with it. Now, uh, to coaches' default, I always say this: What part of the game is he comfortable with? Every time we go into two minutes and they get the, the play in fast and they run it four wide receivers, five wide receivers, he looks very comfortable. Throwing it to Wonders, uh, getting it out quick. That's what he did at Ohio State. So I challenged the coaching staff to say, you know what, let's incorporate this more. And let's, because he seems to be more comfortable with that, and let's incorporate him more out of the shotgun. Like, it can't all be, this is my offense, this is my offense, learning. It got to be some of this. Let me adapt to you also. Now, are there guys on the offense? I mean, we talk about the run game, need, need to get that better. But from the wide receiver position, are there guys on the offense not named Terry McLaurin, who we'll touch on in just a second here, but are there guys that you look at and you say, all right, this guy can be better, this guy can be better, and I know he can be. Who are the guys that you think really need to step up to help Dwayne in that maturation process? I'm wondering what's going on with Antonio Gandy-Golden, AGG. I'm wondering if he's not learning the playbook. Uh, it has to be something because the talent is there. The run after the catch is there. I, I never would have thought we would have got to the third game and he would have had more rushing yards than receiving yards. Like <laughs> he's one of those guys. I just think he got it when I see a big guy because usually big guys are not good at uh they're, they're mostly jump ball guys. They're not good after the catch yet, guys. But when I watched him in college, he reminded me a lot of T.O. the way he broke tackles and, and got down the field. So I would think he would be doing what Dontrell Entman has been doing for us. So AGG is the guy that I'm missing out there. Cam Sims, when he gets a chance to play, all he needs is the ball thrown his way. Isaiah guy came out there. He looks pretty good, too. So the, the, the wide receivers are always at the mercy of the quarterback. So if the quarterback not looking good, no way the wide receivers can look good. But even Terry McLaurin is making that a lie. <laughs> and that's what I want to talk about because I will be damned if I watch this dude play and he is not the best player on the field at all times. His movement, the way he runs his routes, his vision after he catches the ball. What do you see from this guy and what do you think his realistic ceiling can be with this organization? Uh, man, he's a, uh, he's a wicked mixture of, uh, of Steve Smith mixed with, a Reggie, with, with Reggie Wayne. 
So this means he's hell out of the catch. That means I can catch a hitch and go 50. And he can run routes with the best of them. So that's the whole key with this guy. In and out of cut, very fluent. Doesn't drop balls. Have you noticed he doesn't drop balls? Doesn't drop balls. Works very hard. And he's humble. How many times have a team had a, a star receiver that's humble? You don't get that much. <laughs> Usually they are diva, diva, diva. There's no diva in him. He's a work hard guy. He's the type of guy you want to move forward with. We need to get him a running mate. Now, when you watch him play, as a guy that, you know, at one point in your career would be lining up against him, do you mm-hmm. see, like, any flaws in his game? Or do you see something like, all right, if I'm man-on-man with him, this is something that I can do to kind of slow him down. Do you see any of that in his game? Uh, yes, his number one flaw is going to be how fast can Dwayne Haskins? <laughs> well, because I tell people all the time, they always ask me, who's the best wide receiver? I was like, it ain't about the best wide receiver. You can have Randy Moss. But if you got Nathan Peterman throwing him the ball, Randy ain't got a chance. So at the end of the day, the wide receivers are at the mercy of their quarterback. I can dominate you with a regular quarterback, but now if you get Peyton Manning throwing you the ball, it's going to make it hard for me. But back to McLaurin, I think you just have to play him really situation. If it's third and short, get ready for him to run uh, maybe a slant route or this or that. So you, you got to really don't take the match to McLaurin. You got to take the match to the offensive coordinator and try to predict where they're going to try to use it. Uh, final question on offense before we switch to the defense and start previewing what we have coming up on Sunday. But from the running back perspective, we need a run game. I think it's gotten better as the weeks have progressed. But do you think that we should have one guy in particular to, to get the bulk of the carries? Or do you like kind of the the everyone kind of spreading the wealth type of mentality? I like to spread the wealth, but I also I want to actually get the running game to work for us. It's not working for us. We're running the ball to keep people honest. But sometimes you have to run in the ball to dictate the pace and to beat a team down. And I really want to see Antonio Gibson, as much as I want to see him run more, I want to see Dwayne throw him the ball more. Like, Dwayne has to understand my safety throws is tight ends and running back. And I noticed he do that a lot at Ohio State. He likes to depend on his wide out and push the ball down the field. That's how good. But to really connect drives, you're going to have to throw it to the back to Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick. Use these guys. Show, show all the t- Let them showcase the talent that they have. All right, so let's talk about this defense because we got a, a tough task coming up. We got Lamar Jackson, and I was, I was watching the game on Monday night between the Ravens and the Kansas City Chiefs, and credit where credit is due, of course, Kansas City, the defending Super Bowl champion. So they got some dudes on defense, and I recognize that. But I look at their defense, and I look at our defense, and, and we got some dudes. So what do you think we can do to stop it, maybe not stop, but limit Lamar Jackson and his production and make his life a lot more difficult, similar to what Kansas City did? First of all, you never want to catch a, a A1 team after a loss. Uh, <laughs> you're, talking about a, you're talking about a pissed off Raven team that going to come in here. And if I'm Jack real, I'm going to take the same list that Kansas City did, and I'm just going to put eight in the box, and I'm going to force Lamar to beat me throwing the ball. And not just throwing the ball, I'm going to play from the top down, and I'm going to force Lamar to beat me throwing the ball time after time after time after time. Not ever giving up a deep ball, but see, can he be patient as a passer to take five yards here, seven yards here, nine yards here. Force them to become one-dimensional. But you you can only do that if you get up on them. See, that's what Kansas City has the ability to do. Get a team like the Ravens behind. Force them to be one-dimensional by game plan. Takes away their running game, and that's how you beat them. The problem is, can we ever get a 10-point lead to force them to 
go into being one dimension and becoming just a, a pass happy team. Now, the talk of our defense is, of course, the defensive line, and rightfully so. We got a bunch of monsters up there, and they make life hell for opposing quarterbacks. But one of the position groups that through three games I feel like it has played really, really well is the defensive backs. You know, the guys out on the corners who were working against Odell Beckham Jr. and DeAndre Hopkins. What have you seen from our group, our young group of defensive backs uh, so far through these three games? Oh, I love it. You know, and that's the group everybody said in the offseason. I don't know. These guys, they, they should be the weak point of the defense. No, I don't think that they've been the weak point of the defense. I think if I had to pick a weakness on the defense, it's been some of the linebacker play. When you look at runner Darby, I think Darby to show people when he's healthy, he can be a top flight corner. Kendall Fuller just getting back. Actually, I think Kendall Fuller needs to play free safety because uh, Moreland, Jimmy Moreland, and, and favorite Monroe playing pretty good on the outside playing solid. I think the only weak spot in their secondary is the safety play. Even Landon Collins has not been playing well this year. And you're talking about the highest-paid person on your defense. At one point, he's going to have to show up. There's no way I should have a guy that's known as a box safety and we play a running team like the Browns and get ran all over. That ain't the way it should go. It shouldn't go like that. And Troy actually, I don't know if he retired and didn't tell nobody, but he hasn't played any ball this year either. So that's why I say I would move Kendall Fuller to the free safety to, to solidify that group on the back end. But I thought I think those guys play well. And once you got a defensive line like we have, they can make anybody. They can make my grandma look good at defense. <laughs> Now, what have you seen from Troy Apke? Because we heard a lot of really good things about him in camp. They, they like the way he's progressing. They like the way he's playing against the offense. And then we see him in situations against Cleveland, and he misses not once but twice on a touchdown run. And he's getting juked out of his shoes on what seems like a consistent basis. What are you seeing from him? What needs to change for him to actually start making some of these plays? Uh, I think he needs to embrace the light. He, it seems like in practice he's comfortable. But when it's time to get in front of uh, – the camera and it's time to go out there and showcase what you worked so hard for and practice for. He seems to not be comfortable with that. And that's one thing you cannot have when you're playing in the NFL because you're going to have to be comfortable showcasing your talent in front of millions. You can't have one without the other. That's just the way life goes. And I think when I look at Troy uh, I can see him coming up and, and, and not breaking down and taking bad angles. This mental stuff, this is stuff you get literally from watching tape. So I, I don't know what approach he's doing, but I think it needs a, a little bit more heart into the game and a little bit more giving his body up. And coming up this weekend, of course, you know, I feel like every time we have like a big matchup, especially this one, because it's it's so close in markets, we like to do like these matchups, like who wins this matchup, who wins this matchup. Is there any matchup that you look at this weekend that you think, all right, we have the, the device, the decisive advantage here. And this is something we really need to take advantage of if we want to stop, as you mentioned, this A1 team that's coming off of kind of getting roughed up on national television. Well, I, I think it's all about the defensive front. If the defensive front controls the line of scrimmage, it's going to force them to literally change their running game, and that's something they don't want to do with. That's something they feel like they didn't get established last week, and when teams go through stuff like that, they want to come out the next week and say, you know what, let's establish this. If the defensive front plays on the other side of the ball, it's going to give us a chance to not only play this game a little tough, but maybe upset these guys. Yes, I said it, maybe upset these guys, because one thing I know is Lamar Jackson, pushing the ball down the field. Oh, his throwing has got tremendously better. I've seen his receivers and tight ends drop six, seven balls the other day. So they, they, to not let them get their confidence back, I think we've got to stop their running game. Got to stop the running game. So here's the money-making question here, Fred. 
What's the score prediction? Do you think we have it in us to pull off the upset and send Baltimore on a losing streak here? Uh, you know what? <laughs> if, if, if the Baltimore Ravens defense wasn't so damn good and our offensive line wasn't so bad, <laughs> I, I would give us a chance but because it's such a mixed match right there. Uh, Gerard Christian, Jerron Christian has been getting kicked out the club. Uh, of course, we got our best offensive lineman and share. So, you know, I, I just can't bet on it. If I'm a bed man and I'm doing it, bet on Ryan right now, I literally go Ravens 30, Washington football team 19. And, you know, it's going to be a bang bang game in the beginning. But if the game goes on, they'll start to wear style. So, yeah, I go 30 to 19, uh, Baltimore Ravens. Don't tell anybody in the DMV I said this. But, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Uh, and finally, before I let you get out of here, um, I did want to ask my favorite player that I ever grew up watching was Sean Taylor. I have a 21 towel pinned up on my wall behind me. As a guy that had a relationship with Sean, you played with Sean, we are seeing kind of this influx of young talent at the collegiate level and now entering the NFL, guys that looked up to Sean Taylor and they watched him and that's who they kind of pattern their game after. As someone that knew Sean well, how cool is that for you to see the, the young talent recognizing the greatness of Sean Taylor? Well, they, they tell you that the young guys are, are, are just like the older guys. I was the historian of the game. I knew all the, the, the ant waters. And when I walked in my first locker room, I was already a, a super Dion fan. I knew Dale Green. I knew Champ Bailey. I knew these guys. So football players recognize football. But he was a he, he was a game changer. He was similar to Vic. You know, when we get these oddities into the into pro sports, I think they change things. I used to tell people, when we came to the huddle, he used to stand beside LeVar, and you couldn't tell who was the linebacker. <laughs> like you couldn't, just, just a huge figure, intense, thing, uh, love football. You never would have seen a guy that was so deadly when it came to tackling guys, have that much ball covering skills. He could literally return punts. He could play wide receiver. He could pretty much do everything. When he got his hands on a fumble by interception, he's taking it to the house, I do believe, if the tragedy don't happen, he go down as one of the best uh, defensive players and players that ever played a game. But he's he just one of them guys, man, just a game changer, just a life changer. These guys don't come around much. They don't come around many times. But to see a London, a London college and the rest of the safeties understand who he was, what he did, and what he meant, it says a lot for the game, and it says a lot for the history that the young guys keep up with. Fred, I greatly appreciate the time, my man. I know you're exceptionally busy, so I'm gracious that you were able to take 15 minutes out of your day. Uh, I look forward to watching the game this weekend. I'll be checking into the podcast and all the stuff that you're doing over the weekend. Uh, take it easy, my friend. We'll catch up again soon. All right, no problem. Thanks. Thanks. Appreciate that. So there it is. That was a great Fred Smoot. Really great insight there on the actual matchup itself. Uh, really great stuff on Sean Taylor, too. That's something... That's something I've always been curious. I'll get to a little bit of stuff that I want to see this weekend uh, in terms of the matchup. But that's something that I'm always curious about, how guys that played with Sean Taylor actually feel about the the new generation uh, coming in and looking up to him. Because you know, I'm, I'm not lying when I told Fred I have a 21 towel from the game uh, against Buffalo after Sean passed away That that's literally hanging up over my left shoulder. I love Sean Taylor. He is the only jersey that I wear on game day. Uh, part of that is because we've had a ridiculous amount of turnover in jerseys I would actually buy, but he's the only jersey I wear on game day, so I loved his answer there. 
Now, as far as the actual game itself goes, uh, Fred and I mentioned a couple times, it's it's never really a great thing when you're playing a really good football team that got handed, their asses handed to them, uh, especially on national television on Monday night. And that's what the Ravens, they were on the receiving end of that. And we know that Lamar Jackson, his kryptonite is Patrick Mahomes and is the Kansas City Chiefs. It's the team he's never beaten. But I, it makes me a little worrisome here. You know, I've... I've said throughout the course of the first three weeks that, you know, I don't just want to be Larry Michael predicting the team to go 16-0. and Like, that's not uh, the purpose here. I, I, I'm a fan of the team, of course, but I try and look at this as, as realistically as possible. And realistically, I'm not feeling great about our chances this weekend, and that's how that works. Baltimore was my Super Bowl pick. So I, I, there's a lot about that team that I like. I, I think their receiving group isn't exceptional uh, I mean obviously Hollywood is has the potential to be a really strong receiver really good receiver in this league for years and years to come but I don't think their receiving group and their tight end group even though Andrews is fantastic but they were all dropping passes last week and that's something that I think does play in our favor and I was dead serious I mean I asked Fred the question but I was dead serious when I look at Kansas City's defense our defense also has some dudes uh, are we a perfect defense? Absolutely not. But our defense has some dudes. And I do think we have guys that are capable of doing very similar things that Kansas City did in the way of making Lamar Jackson's life a lot more difficult than other teams have throughout the course of his young career. Now, not having Chase Young, who uh, last I checked is doubtful to play, that sucks. Obviously, Matt Ioannidis is done for the season. But the benefit of having such a strong group at the defensive line position and such a, a group filled with great depth is that we just have guys that are going to be able to step up. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to see if Montez Sweat can give another performance similar to what he did last week. It was his best performance, I would say, as a professional with our organization uh, of his young career. Can he do something very similar? Lamar Jackson is an exceptionally different quarterback than Baker Mayfield. Uh, anyone that argues otherwise is completely full of it. Lamar Jackson is a special athlete, and he's gotten a lot better when it comes to delivering throws, but there's a reason that people get on Lamar Jackson a bunch for throwing the football. I mean, if you look at just statistics, you'll point to his season last year and say, well, he, you know, he led the league in touchdown passes. Like, how could you get mad at this guy for his throwing of the football? But if you watch him play, there are throws that he still misses. It's just he's so talented, his deep ball is still very good. His deep ball, Lamar Jackson's deep ball has been fantastic since college. So, uh, I mean, anyone that's ever criticized his deep ball is, is nuts. It's the underneath throws that he does have uh, an issue with. It's not quite to the extent accuracy issues that Dwayne Haskins has, but they are uh, at somewhat very similar. Like, it's the, it's the little throws that you would think quarterbacks would be able to to make no problem, well, there's actually difficulties in those. They require a little bit more touch. And are you throwing to the outside of the hash? Are you throwing to the ball too far inside? Things of that nature. So Lamar Jackson does have a tendency to still have issues with that. So I do give us a fighter's chance, a puncher's chance. I'm still not liking the odds. I'm certainly, this is going to be the first time in the 2020 season that I uh, predict our team to lose because I, I just can't see the Ravens dropping two in a row but there are still a couple matchups I'm interested in uh, obviously Terry McLaurin versus two great cornerbacks they got Marcus Peters they got Marlon Humphrey those two guys are studs 
So I'm excited to see that matchup because I've said it every single week, and I'm going to continue to say it until I'm proved otherwise, Terry McLaurin wins these one-on-one matchups. I don't care how good the corner opposite of him is, Terry McLaurin, if you throw him the football and if the play calling is is centered in the direction where he is getting a good amount of targets, Terry McLaurin is going to pay off for you. Like He is just that good of a wide receiver. He is vastly, quickly approaching the upper echelon of wide receivers in the NFL if he's not already there. And I think you could make an argument that he is already there. So I'm excited to see how that fares. But in terms of actual predictions, I'm going with the Baltimore Ravens. I just There's no way that I see them losing two games in a row. But I do expect Dwayne Haskins to play better this week. I don't expect him to turn the ball over three times with three interceptions. I don't expect him to look down his wide receivers. And I also hope that receivers and tight ends that are not named Terry McLaurin end up catching the football better. You have to help your young quarterback out. Catch the football, make Dwayne Haskins look good, get him comfortable. But I got the Ravens winning this week. I'd love to know your predictions. You can hit me up on Twitter at Denton underscore day. Uh, Big thanks to Fred Smoot for jumping on. Really great conversation with him. Let me know what you thought of that conversation. I'm hoping that in the near future, as we continue to grow a little bit, as my network continues to expand a little bit, we'll have a lot more uh, former players and maybe even some current players uh, on the pod uh, by the end of the season. But let me know what you thought of the conversation with Fred at Denton underscore day on Twitter. Enjoy the game this weekend. And who knows? We have a puncher's chance. Not a great chance, but a puncher's chance. I'll see you after the game.